0: Hey, Steminists, it's Emlyn Gremlin here with a quick announcement. You are currently listening to an older episode of Stem Fatal, one in which we had not quite figured out how to turn the microphone on. So, if the audio quality bothers you, I urge you to skip ahead to episode 17, where we are oh-so-crisp and oh-so-clean. That wasn't supposed to rhyme, but it just worked out that way. Okay, here's the app. By circa 1820,
1: she ran a fossil store. She put the bones together for the- Science was the province of men of noble birth, but I
0: take Mary and the other they still Welcome back to uh, STEM Patal. Woohoo! We're back.
1: We're back and we're ready. Uh, I'm Emlyn Gremlin. I'm Emma Dilemma. And this is your Women in Science History Podcast.
0: So how are we going to start today, Emma?
1: Um, <laughs> what are we doing? So I have a, I have a couple of questions to warm Emlyn up before I get into my story today. Okay. Okay, let's start with one. Emlyn, you went to Columbia University for undergrad, is that correct? It is. Okay. And I feel like they're going to wish
0: they had not <laughs> let me in. No, you're an amazing student. Don't put <laughs> continue.
1: Okay. Can you name any no. um, PhDs or famous people from Colombia? Just any famous any, people. Any famous people that
0: went to Columbia. Barack Obama. No way! Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, this isn't about Barack Obama. It's all about
0: Barack Obama. Besides our our best and yeah. greatest president, all the people that did atomic bomb, all at Columbia. No way!
1: Uh-huh. Wow, I'm learning. <laughs> nope, not that me. Nope, no.
0: Nope. Okay. It's been too long. Spit it out. Who
1: is it? Okay, Frazier. <laughs> Kelsey Grammer?
0: Kelsey, no, he didn't. Oh. I just... I can
1: not think of anything. Wait, did Frasier in Cheers slash Frasier, <laughs> of Cheers Frazier fame, yes, did that he one. go to Columbia no. in the show?
0: Okay. Oh, I mean, I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> Wasn't he in Seattle?
1: Yes, but then he moved to Boston. You Doesn't have really watched matter. this more I recently than Frasier I <laughs> okay. Anyway. They're both bad and really good. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you another hint. Okay, it's I don't think it's gonna help, but I like it. It probably won't. This cool. person was born in Hot Springs, Arkansas. <laughs> Why would that help me? Okay, there's also another famous person. Another... Mary Antoinette.
0: No. I don't
1: know. Is she even American. No. Okay, I think she's French. French, yes. <laughs> Uh Hot Springs. Another president was is from Hot Springs. This still isn't a president, obviously, because we have had... No Barack Obama. President. No, not Barack. Michelle Hawaii. Obama. Michelle Obama has not been our president. Has this person that we're going to talk no. about been our president? No, I just said that. I'm just saying there's a president from there. Okay. <laughs> was the president from
0: there also related to the person who was born there?
1: No. Okay, so those clues
0: are not at all helpful.
1: <laughs> uh, Give you context for hot springs. Um. Okay, are you ready? I'm so ready. Yeah, Please take sorry. me out of my misery. Well, we. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the pers- the female scientist, I'm going to be telling you about today, um, is Mamie Phipps Clark. Okay. <laughs> have you ever heard of her? Mimi? Mamie. Mamie. M A M I E. No. Yeah. I, I not. had not heard her name before either, though I had heard of her studies before. Okay. In like intro psych and maybe even in history classes. Okay, I took none of those, so maybe that explains. <laughs> well no, I'm saying like I'd not heard her her name before. Oh, and
0: even even yeah. in those, yeah.
1: Okay. Mamie um, Phipps, at the time, was born in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1917. Okay. So, right in the middle of World War One. Good timing. We've already uh, established that you don't know of Hot Springs, because I was going to ask you if you've ever been to Hot Springs. I've been to a Hot Springs. This is capital H, capital S. No. Okay. No, I have not. So, I actually went there... Two years ago. On Are there hot springs? Yeah. On okay. On my way to do field work in Tennessee. So, like, if you go north from here, like a little northeast, uh-huh. you kind of go straight there. Okay. Um, a, did you take a dip? I didn't take a dip. Oh. I just stopped in for lunch. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I toured. Okay, let me tell you about hot <laughs> springs. Okay, tell Cause me. Because it, it's a really interesting town. Um, kind of a weird little resort town in the middle of Arkansas. And it's really pretty. It's right outside of the Ouachita National Forest, which that's spelled O-U-C-H-I-T-A. And when I looked up how to pronounce it online, all of the tapes were in a southern accent. So they were all like Washita. <laughs> so <laughs> so I goes... think that's how you pronounce it, but I'm not certain.
0: So there's a... Non-silent W. Right. A non-there,
1: non-silent like if W. If I read it, I would say, like, Uchita or, like, Wachita. Yeah. But okay. everyone says it Wachita right. on the internet. I'll believe it. Okay. Um. So, let's see. From Wikipedia, the center of Hot Springs is the oldest federal reserve in the United States, today preserved as Hot Springs National Park. Okay. And these are, like... And the National Park is actually right in, on Main Street. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's a really weird little town. Um, the hot spring water has been popularly believed for centuries to possess medicinal properties and was a subject of legend among several Native American tribes. Following federal protection in 1832, the city developed into a successful spa town, incorporated – this is still from Wikipedia – and then I'll read in my normal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Incorporated January tenth, eighteen fifty one. The city has been home to Major League Baseball spring training, illegal gambling, nice speakeasies, gangsters. There was a racetrack. There's been like casinos, and um, and from my own experience, the main street in town has a row of these like huge, beautiful bathhouses. Ooh, not. The Dan Savage bathhouses. What are the Dan Savage
0: bathhouses? Never mind. Like okay. sexy
1: bathhouses? Yeah. Okay, so... They're just like spas, basically. Okay. That are no fed... funny business. No. Okay. Well, well I mean, maybe. maybe. But... but they're not for that. <laughs> no. They're fed by the spring water. So you can actually bathe like, oh, in this... They're nice. really beautiful, like covered in tile... Um, And all this, like, historic, like, these really pretty awnings, like, almost like French style or Italian. Oh. Yeah. It's okay. a really yeah. weird place. Okay. It seems like our
0: podcast. So, a second name for our podcast is Women Who Live <laughs> Near Spa <French> Town. <laughs>
1: yeah. I know, we oh, right? like, <laughs> Women Who Live Near Places, people want to go to bathe in the waters. <laughs> But uh, it's still something magical in them. Yeah, I think. clearly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, people would come there to bathe in the warm hot spring water. And okay, you ready to hear who's from there besides Mamie Phipps Clark? Yes. Bill Clinton. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. When you drive into town, there's this.
0: Oh, I should have known because I know he's from Arkansas.
1: Yeah. There's southern a... drawl a painted sign that says welcome to hot springs and on that sign is bill clinton's face painted <laughs> it's weird somewhat well but as well as you could for yeah. a sign okay anyway i think they should replace this face with Mamie's because she's cooler uh, it's a not controversial I, statement i love well bill clinton's all right but <laughs> <laughs> we're not gonna go <laughs> cut it <out. laughs> Okay, okay. So, Mamie was born in Hot Springs. I'm just setting the scene for where she grew up. In 1917, the middle of World War I, her father was a physician who also worked in some resorts in town, and her mother was a housewife. And um, despite growing up in this really tumultuous time in history, Mamie describes her childhood as, overall, very happy, seeing that the Depression... Seem to strengthen family ties rather than destroy them. Wow. Right. So she grew up in World War 1, then the roaring 20s and then the depressing 30s. Yeah. I have a question that's probably going to make a fool out of you and me. <laughs> um
0: 1917 were we World War 1 was happening. Were we like what were we in it at that point?
1: Um it ended in 1919. Yeah. So I would sort of assume yes. Okay. Because I think by the time they actually say it's a war, it means like most of the major powers were okay. in it.
0: Because I know World War Two, we we're pretty late to yeah. the game, but I don't know. I don't remember about World War One. Yeah, we weren't as in World War One as involved. This is just this can go this can this is can this can go to our uh, oops oops collection. Let yeah. us know
1: if that's wrong. <laughs> okay, keep going. We're a biologists, let's yeah. remind everybody. <laughs> Not historians. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, she grew up during this like kind of the highs and lows of the twenties and thirties, right? Mm-hmm. And um Yeah, she remembers the Depression as a really difficult time where her family had to cut back on a lot of things, but she also remembers enjoying her life, like school. She really loved school. She loved, like, hanging out with her friends. She loved her family. She loved traveling. Okay. However, the schools in Hot Springs, Arkansas, at that time, were segregated. Okay. So there was one K through twelve school for all of the white children on one side of town, okay, and one K through twelve school for all of the black children on the other side of town. Okay, yeah. Um. And while this didn't discourage Mamie's love of school, and I guess I don't think I said this yet. Mamie is African American. Okay, I was about Sorry. to ask. <laughs> I okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. While this didn't discourage her love of school, she remembers feeling uneasy just Mm -hmm. walking through life, like not being able to go into certain stores and not being able to go into certain restaurants or buildings or events, et cetera, basically. Even though Hot Springs, I guess, was relatively liberal for a southern town Uh because it was a resort town. So So there's lots of people coming in. Yeah. Okay. And they relied heavily on outsiders, and Northerners, mm-hmm. to come to yeah. to their town. Okay, so um, yeah, so she says there are occasional lynch mobs and KKK <laughs> riots in town. Yeah, not all, not as much as other Southern. I mean, towns. any is no good. No. Yeah, but she also has said that. Like, I, yeah, most people in town typically denounce these very covert, violent, racist acts. Uh huh. But she thinks it's because people's income in hot springs depended on tourism. Gotcha. And there was still, like, oh, wait, sorry, overt is the right word, not covert. Over is, like, uh, a weird... Anyway.
0: Wait, what's the sentence? <laughs> what's the card? Let me say it again. Okay. Okay. Paint a, paint a word picture.
1: Uh, she says that most of the white people in town at the time typically denounce these very overt, violent, okay. racist acts. But she thinks it's because most people's income in hot springs depend on tourism to okay. the bathhouses. And so covert.
0: Different story. Yeah.
1: Maybe. So people were still racist. Yeah. yeah yeah okay. In 1934 at the age of 16, she moved to Washington DC to start college at Howard University. Okay. And so sh- her family was pretty well off. Mm-hmm. Um, her Since her dad was a physician, like he was able to afford to help her go to college, but okay. she also got a scholarship. nice. Um, and she was interested in majoring in math. She loved math, but found her math classes at Howard to be much more challenging than her high school math classes in Arkansas. I mean, don't we all? Once we yeah, to college. right. I think that's just the college experience sometimes. Do you have any sense
0: of like how... I would imagine... So Howard University is a primarily...
1: Yeah, it's a historically, a, yeah, historically black, black
0: college. college. But do, I, I don't know... I would imagine the amount of women that were there was probably pretty low at that time. Yeah, I
1: mean, she's, like, very revolutionary in many ways. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and we'll see that. But, yeah, it was... I don't know, actually, like, the ratio Mm -hmm. of sexes, but I know that it wasn't easy for her to get into college or anything. Yeah. Like, nothing came easy to her, just even though her dad, like was better off than, like, a lot of people then. Yeah. So, yeah, she had a hard time with her math classes. She felt like a lot of other students at Howard had had much better math educations than she felt she had had and essentially felt like they spoke a different language Mm -hmm. almost when she got there. So she was kind of—she was interested in working with children and considering switching majors— And in her second year, she met an older student, a senior, a Mm. sexy senior, uh, Kenneth Clark. Uh, You know, sorry, last name? Anyway, same last name. Anyway, never mind. Cut this out. Oh, wait. Wait, what's what's her full name? Uh, Mimi Fitz Clark. Oh,
0: foreshadowing. (laughs) Or they're related. But probably Oh, God,
1: no. Okay.
0: Okay. I wasn't sure what you meant.
1: No. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, she met an older student, Kenneth Clark, who was studying psychology. And he reinforced her her growing interest in working with children and in the social sciences. And they started to date, and eventually she switched majors. Okay. Which is only a cute story, because they stayed together their whole lives. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, you shouldn't. Don't do math. Just work with children. I would, like advise any woman not to ever let a man come into
0: such majors. Unless she like that's what she really wanted to do. Right. And yeah. She just Yeah.
1: And it does seem like she was leaning that way uh-huh. and maybe he was just helping her. Yeah. But it's and and she's influenced him similarly like yeah. later on in their careers. But <laughs> yeah. so early on in their relationship, <laughs> don't change for a man, ladies. Okay. But, honestly, this made her career, so... Yeah, so, so it's probably a good move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So she switches majors. Um, Kenneth graduates and starts his PhD at Columbia. Hey! hey you, Columbia.
0: Columbia. Okay,
1: Columbia. while Mamie is finishing up her undergrad.
0: Roar, lion roar.
1: That's... That's all I know of our motto.
0: <laughs>
1: um, University of Rochester, ours was Meliora.
0: It's just Latin.
1: Yeah, for, like... Better? No. Make better or make. something like that. Do better. Yeah. Be better. Be better. Anyway, blame. Okay. Um, she is still finishing up. In her senior year, he comes back. I mean, they're talking every day. They're mm-hmm. still together. Um, in her senior year, they elope. Oh. They spend a nice week in Fredericksburg, Virginia. <laughs> for their honeymoon. Okay. He goes back to Columbia. They're talking every day they're in love it's great yeah <laughs> i like okay. it the summer between undergrad and starting her master's degree at howard so she was going to continue on okay at she was going to stay at howard yeah um she says was one of the most magnificent learning experiences of her life because she stayed in dc that summer and says by sheer accident that she got a job in the office of charles houston who was dean of Howard Law School at the time? Oh, that. okay. And he was an incredible lawyer that worked his whole life to dismantle Jim Crow laws, nice. and mentored a ton of amazing lawyers that went on to work for the NAACP, like Thurgood Marshall, his okay. sons. Yeah. So she met all of these really amazing lawyers working in this office. Do
0: you know what, to, like, when was, was is the 40s? This or was
1: 1938. Okay, okay. Yeah, so almost. So yeah. before, before World War II. Yes. Okay. Yep. Right towards the end of the Depression. Yeah. Yeah. Which, honestly, so I've read, like, interviews with her and stuff, and she doesn't really talk about World War II at all. Okay. Like, honestly, her focus was on segregation mm-hmm. and like solving those problems, okay. which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's a kind of a war going on. Here. I know. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so she met all these great lawyers, and they, this was the first time she really saw that she could actually do something tangible to fight against segregation. Um, so, she started her master's degree at Howard and became interested, still studying psychology. And she became interested in a series of studies by Ruth and Jean Horowitz on self identification in nursery school children. And considered how she might um, merge her interests in sex, in race, and segregation with studying children and their psychology. Okay. So, she. Uh designed a study to see whether African American children under the age of five could recognize their own race. And she had them, um, she studied this by having children age three to five look at drawings that were exactly the same except for the skin color of the drawings and had them point to the drawing that looked most like themselves. Okay. And it was all, they were given, like, a drawing, a sketch of, like, a black boy and a sketch of a white boy. Okay. And they had, in these.
0: Which yeah. one they most identified with?
1: Yeah. They, she would ask, like, which one looks like you, yeah, basically. Okay. okay. And she found that with age, kids were more likely to point at the drawing depicting their own race. mm mm-hmm. So basically, her master's thesis was just looking at age at which you can identify things about yourself. Okay. But her husband, Kenneth was fascinated by her findings and wanted to further study them with her. So he's getting his PhD at Columbia in psychology. And he's like, wow, Mamie, that's awesome. Yeah. Let's like do more with this. Okay. And so they developed a joint proposal and submitted it to the Julius Rosenwald fund To design um, newer tests and continue that research on identity and race. Um, They were awarded the fellowship. And yeah, just after Mamie graduated in 1939. And then she moved to New York and started her PhD at Columbia. Gotcha. While he was finishing up. And this is interesting. She chose an advisor, Henry Garrett. Who believed segregation was great? He was white. Okay. And thought it was necessary because black people were inferior. Did she.
0: Were there not that many choices? Did she pick him because she wanted. She like, wanted. I'm gonna change his mind. She wanted a challenge. Uh, okay. Bold move. Yeah.
1: Crazy, uh, right? <laughs> I'm trying
0: to imagine, like, <gasps> feeling that different than my advisor. Well, one, if your advisor thinks segregation yeah. is good, and he's a white man and you're a black woman, like... Yes. That's very personal disagreement. black
1: woman in that department, and her husband was the first black man in that department. Oh, man. Yeah. So they... I'm sure they faced their first shift of yeah. discrimination, and yeah. people said shitty things to them all the time. <laughs> but she also chose him because she still was interested in math, and he was a statistician. Okay. And she wanted to use more statistics in her uh, PhD. So, like, she was like, <laughs> I want that racist statistician. Yeah, I want the racist statistician. And, yeah. It's super right. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, for her dissertation, she did a statistical study on the development of mental abilities, um, looking at IQs of children across age groups, and whether or not if they had a high IQ when they were younger, did they have a high IQ later in life. And at the same time, she was working with Kenneth to develop the tests that they had designed in their proposal. Okay. Okay. These studies were completed by 1943, which is the same year that Maine graduated from Columbia with her PhD. First African American woman to graduate with a psychology degree from Columbia. Nice. Yeah. So, one of these tests you might have heard of before. It's called the Dolls I probably haven't. It's called the Dolls Test.
0: Okay. It's pretty
1: famous. It sounds creepy. Yeah kind of is creepy, only because okay. dolls are creepy.
0: Yeah, dolls yeah. are inherently creepy.
1: So, in this test, African-American children ages 3 through 7 were presented with four dolls that were identical, except for skin and hair color. Okay. Two of the dolls had brown skin and black hair, and two of the dolls have white skin and yellow hair. And to assess racial preference, so they were trying to study whether or not... Um, these children identified with their own race and then whether they had, whether African-American children preferred to be white or black. Okay. Pretty like deep cut. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was the
0: difference between, so there's two uh, like black dolls with black hair, two white dolls with yeah. blonde hair. What were the different? Like, was there differences between the dolls that were both black with the dolls that were both uh, white
1: I don't think so but I'm not sure okay yeah actually that's a good question it seems strange just yeah, to have like two have of two. the same maybe their expressions or something yeah. oops or maybe a boy and a girl okay it could be a boy yeah. and a girl yeah okay that's weird it doesn't say anyway I could have looked up the actual paper no no okay <laughs> we're busy people <laughs> Um, to assess, rate, so they were presented with the four dolls, and then the experimenter said these statements um, Give me the doll that you like to play with or like best. Give me the doll that is a nice doll. Give me the doll that looks bad. Give me the doll that is a nice color, uh-huh. etc. And like, give me the doll that looks like you. So you've never learned about this before? Or you're not sure? I'm not sure. Okay. I had learned about this before, and I don't know if it was psych or history. Yeah. Which, well, okay, anyway. So they tested over 250 children. What, do you know what age is? Um, Three through seven.
0: Three through seven. So they weren't looking at white children, they were just looking at black children. Yeah,
1: in, so half of them were in segregated schools. In okay. In the south, in Arkansas. And the other half of them were in racially mixed schools in the northeast, in Massachusetts. Okay. So I think it was Kenneth went to all the southern schools and Mamie did all the testing in Massachusetts. Because he had graduated okay. by then. They found that by age 7, percent of the children correctly self-identified. Okay. Um... They also found that the majority of children chose the white doll as the doll they wanted to play with. Okay. But this is in both segregated and, and mixed schools. Yeah. And, yeah, so, and it sort of similarly follows with the rest of all these depressing statements that they <laughs> gave the children. Um, so it's... Uh. Interesting because while these findings were similar for children in the segregated schools and the mixed schools, the Clarks reported that many of the Southern children appeared to have internalized a passive resigned acceptance of their inferior racial status. Mm. While children in the racially mixed schools seem more aware of the injustice of discrimination and okay. were more actively upset by it. Gotcha. But that wasn't what their study was measuring at all. Mm-hmm. So, I think that those are just observations that they made in the paper. Okay. So, which is interesting because this study is going to go on to, like, change everything. But the study itself doesn't show anything about segregation in schools impacting um, the way that children feel about themselves. Except they're, like, observations that were on the side. Is okay. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so okay. the,
0: the study, that, it doesn't have data about how the segregated schools make children feel, but their, their kind of conclusions do yeah. have that.
1: Yes. Okay. So that's interesting for other reasons yeah. we'll get to later. So going back a little bit to 1943, so they published this study between 43 and 47, okay. in a series of studies that show the same thing. So Mamie, though, graduated in 1943 while these were coming out. Mm-hmm. And she they both graduated from Columbia. Kenneth is working as a teacher at City College in New York City. Mamie tries out a few different jobs around the city before landing in a psychologist position at Riverdale Children's Association. Okay. Which was a, a home for homeless children, basically. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and she was really happy there because she could work directly with children. Yeah. So she couldn't get faculty jobs. No. Yeah. Because she was a black woman. Yeah. In the forties. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard for her for a couple of years to find a job that she really liked and was Qual- like she's probably overqualified yeah, she was for over, most of the things yeah, that exactly. Um. So she realized while she was there that there weren't enough avenues for children at the time to access mental health help if they needed it. Okay. And yeah. so she began researching ways to open up her own facility. Oh. In nineteen forty six. So three years after she got her PhD, she's probably she's born in nineteen seventeen. She's what, thirty now? Okay. Yeah. Sure. That's right. That sounds okay. So. That sounds- <laughs> um, she opens a place in Harlem that's still open today called the Northside Center for Child Development. Okay. One of her initial projects was to administer intelligence tests to children in the community who had been labeled mentally disabled. When it turns out, most of these children were just African American and had not been taught to read or do math properly. But the school systems were kicking them out because because they were labeling them as mentally challenged.
0: Uh.
1: So... But So
0: the schools th- are failing them and yes. then blaming them yes. for their failure.
1: And she was like, No, these students are really smart and incapable and, and the school systems are failing them. Yeah. And she actually got made these school practices illegal as a result of her testing. Oh, so you couldn't kick out students who you thought were Yeah.
0: Like too low of yeah. intelligence or mentally disabled.
1: So, pretty amazing. Yeah. So, all this is going on. (laughs) She's, like, starting the center that's amazing while her studies are getting published. Um, Let's see. And, yeah, a couple years later, it was one of the first agencies to provide comprehensive psychological services to the poor um, black community in New York City. And a couple years later, they started providing not only psychological help, but a number of educational programs for children and their parents. Very cool. Okay. At the same time as she's opening the center, Uh the NAACP is involved in a number of lawsuits across the South, trying to get schools to be desegregated. Yeah. Because school segregation was still legal in 17 states Mm -hmm. in the 40s. Um... Around 1953, the NAACP finally combines a lot of these cases, they've been fighting for like 10 years, into one huge case and brings it before the Supreme Court in the Brown versus Board of Education landmark case. Okay. Um, at the insistence of Thurgood Marshall, who she met that mm-hmm. summer... Mamie and Kenneth had testified over the years in a number of the smaller cases, like the state cases, and provided written testimony that was presented to the Supreme Court case, citing their studies and evidence that segregated schools were psychologically damaging to black children. Though they sort of hadn't found that. But they had... Observed it. They'd observed it, but they hadn't been collecting data on it specifically. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and Mamie in an interview said the only reason she thinks they asked her to testify was because at one of these, um, at one of the cases, her really racist advisor was testifying on the inferiority of black people. Uh. And they were like, she's a student we want her to testify to make him seem less reputable. Yeah, because because she was his student. Yeah, so that like, kind of worked out, like being his student. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, like why would why would you take me if you felt that I was inferior? does yeah, she just like above it doesn't like, make any sense. Of love at all. Yeah,
1: basically. That's cool. Yeah, and. Okay, in 19, and there, that's all very complicated, all of that legal stuff. So this is just a very brief recounting of it. This is not a legal podcast. No. <laughs> we are even less qualified. <laughs> but in 1954, the Supreme Court voted unanimously that segregation was unconstitutional because it was inherently unequal. Mm-hmm. And in that decision... Chief Justice Earl Warren specifically cited Clark's research. Okay. And he said, in a footnote, um, to separate from others of similar age and qualifications solely because of their race generates a feeling of inferiority as to their status in the community that may affect their hearts and minds in a way unlikely to ever be undone. So it had an impact on him and and the other um, justices. Okay, since then, this doll said he has been repeated again and again, and it's clear now that segregation was never on its own what led to the inferiority complex in black children, mm-hmm. which I think is obvious from their data. That was a problem in all of the children. Yeah. yeah. That was a societal thing. Right. And like, like, even institutionalized North. Institutionalized yeah. racism yeah. was the problem. Um and unconscious biases obviously exist throughout our fine country not just in the south no um okay however like it was even though the doll study itself and even the clark's recognized that now that it wasn't like totally a complete study and mm-hmm. they never really even meant it to be they I don't know it was just a preliminary Any science, it's like a preliminary study or... Yeah, you need multiple... Yeah, you have to like do things again and again and again and again. Anyway. Um, Either way, the Supreme Court decision was a victory and their research impacted that decision and was the first ever psych study to be included in a Supreme Court case. And it's kind of even just a side note in maybe Clark's whole career. Like, to her, it seems like a side note that their studies, like, were used for Brown versus Board. Yeah, who was really focused on her career as a developmental psychologist, philanthropist, civil rights activist, and educator. And she served as the executive director of the Northside Center until retiring in 1980, and helped her husband start a multitude of educational programs throughout New York City. And she died in 1983 at the age of 65. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there's a lot about her career as the director of the Northside Center, but she basically stopped doing as much science because she couldn't
0: get get a job. Yeah, But in
1: 1973, she was awarded the American Association of University Women Achievement Award for admirable service to the field of mental health. And ten years later, the National Coalition of 100 Black Women awarded her the Candace Award for Humanitarianism.
0: Yeah, it seems like she made the best out of not being able to get a professor job and made some real difference. And
1: she's like such a positive person and doesn't even think, I don't know, reading interviews with her about her, it doesn't seem like she felt ever like she was held back, even though she probably was in so many ways. Just by who she was. Yeah. So, yeah. That's Mamie Clark. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. She's such a cool lady. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Uh, My sources were an interview with Mamie Clark by Ed Edwin from 1976. An encyclopedia.com article. Yeah. A feministvoices.com article by Excel Carrera. And an article um, from TheRoot.com by Janae Desmond-Harris called uh, The Doll Test for Racial Self-Hate, Did It Ever Make Sense? Great. Awesome. Yeah. I love it.
0: (laughs) Cool. Is it work, work, work time? Work, 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 work. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to talk about some research that's current that's being done by some badass Female scientists. Yes. And I've got two for us today. I was going <laughs> to... I was going to try to... Uh, say that the this would give us useful uh, advice for our podcast. But I just... Well, no, the second one might give us useful advice for our podcast. We
1: all have to give advice. No, no, I mean. we're still in the early stages, so we probably need it. We need a lot
0: of advice. This, or the second one will, uh, might help us stay clean, if that's a thing that we're worried about.
1: Always. Always.
0: <laughs> okay. So the first one came out this week in biogeosciences, which is definitely out of my, it's all out of my comfort zone. Yeah. So.
1: That's the point. Yeah. We're learning new
0: things. We are. And we're trying to explain them and we'll see how that goes. Okay, so tell me about sea ice. Sea ice?
1: Yeah. What do you know about sea ice? Um, I don't see any ice right now, but no. (laughs) No? (laughs) I don't know. It's ice on top of the sea. Okay.
0: Like, so you know sea ice is in decline.
1: Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. that's all I meant. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was
0: a leading question. Um, okay, so we hear about sea ice melting all the time, and we know that as sea ice melts, that's causing sea level rise. People are starting to try to do research on how other aspects of sea ice melting, how that could impact like ecosystems in the Arctic.
1: Wow.
0: Because and like the example that you probably think of is, you know, you have less sea ice, polar bears can't. Polar bears use ice in order to get food, so they're not getting as much food, so they're yeah. not doing so well. But what we do know is a lot about our, uh, Antarctic krill. So those are the, the, the shrimpies, yeah. right? Oh. So they're of commercial interest, and they're really important for the food web in Antarctica. And um, we know that Antarctic krill have been declining for the past 90 years. So okay. there's a correlation between... Krill declines in Antarctica and sea ice melt. Oh. But that's a correlation and people have been like, well, one's causing yeah, the other. Why? But there hasn't been any good evidence of what that connection actually might be. And so there's was a study that came out this week by Katrin Schmidt, who's a research scientist at Georgia Tech and, and a bunch of other colleagues. And they have kind of helped us piece together a little bit of the melting sea ice might have on uh, krill abundances. Wow. Which has big impacts for the whole Antarctic food web. And so what they found was that krill that have been caught in ice-related zones, so kind of areas with lots of ice, fed more on this sea ice algae and were also much healthier and bigger than krill that were in, like, the open ocean that were feeding on normal algal blooms in the open ocean. Katrin Schmidt suggests that the sea ice actually acts as like a protective lid. And so it kind of buffers against high winds and buffers against turbulence and allows these uh, ice algae to photosynthesize a lot more because it's not as turbid and they can kind of stay on the surface and get more, more light. And so they're actually a much better food source for krill than normal phytoplankton that are like in the open ocean. And so this this research that came out this week uh, helps us understand how melting sea ice can impact Arctic ecosystems and impact um, these krill that are, you know, economically important. So
1: I love people who do research on climate change yeah but it must be so depressing depressing all the time yeah I mean maybe not maybe if you're really positive really positive I had a teacher at Columbia
0: who we took a class that was on something about climate change (laughs) and he kept being like Palm trees on the poles. It's going to be great. Yeah,
1: just like spinning it. Yeah, like I don't think
0: that will be great. Also, if there's palm trees on the poles, everywhere else is in, <laughs> fucked.
1: Yeah, like we're that's are all gone it's Yeah,
0: that point. Only people are living on the poles <laughs> if there are palm trees there. And
1: there's no space for anyone.
0: Yeah. So that's first... Badass of the week, and that was I got some of this information from Randall Hyman a article on a Science Magazine. And then the second one is even more out of my comfort zone.
1: Good,
0: I love it. Hospitals are dirty.
1: Oh, yes, everywhere is dirty.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so hospitals aren't really dirty, okay. and it depends where you go. Yeah. But uh, according to the World Health Organization, about one in ten patients worldwide get an infection when they're seeking treatment. Mm-hmm. In a hospital or yeah. some other type of healthcare facility, because of contaminated hospital surfaces. Ethel, huh? Ethel Corantang. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I'm, I apologize, Ethel. Speak Yeah, Ethel Karantang is a chemist at the oh. University of Co- University College London, and so she, Ethel, and colleagues have developed a new material. That uses ambient light to produce bacteria-killing molecules. Whoa. Uh, that could help minimize infections that are acquired in hospitals, um, which even includes drug-resistant bacteria.
1: So Whoa. essentially, it's a
0: self-disinfecting material. Which, like, I would like on all of my surfaces. Yes. Yeah. Beds you lie in, or the stirrups, or whatever. I'm just thinking about this is only at the (laughs) gynecologist only are for the gynecologist Um, pop smears (laughs) (laughs) that like uh, metal oh oh, yeah the the clamp the cervix clamp yeah yeah. Uh, anyways so yeah I can it can be used as like a, a flexible film or as kind of a harder covering for things and essentially, you turn on lights, and it, the the polymer disinfects itself.
1: How did anyone figure this out?
0: I don't know. Math. This is, so they're a chemist.
1: I mean, it could yeah, be man, math. a chemical engineer probably, yeah. I guess.
0: Yeah. yeah, I have no idea. But so they've done lab tests using this surface, and this material killed 99.97% of... MRSA. Do you know what MRSA is?
1: Um, methyl... Well, MRSA. <laughs> it's yeah. the methyl... Oh, shoot. It's, it's a strain of staphylococcus. Strain. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah. so it's... It's methyl something.
0: It's resistant to methicillin. So yeah. it's probably methicillin-resistant staphylococcus aureus. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those really bad...
1: Yeah, it's like staff infections. A super
0: bug. Yeah, that a lot of our um, antibiotics doesn't work against.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, how do we get rid of gonorrhea? Because that's becoming resistant. I
0: mean, you just turn the light yeah. on. It's gonorrhea. <laughs> People are not getting it from like surfaces. All surfaces should be this. All surfaces. <laughs>
1: like well, like, what surfaces? You can make a condom with it. Yeah, I guess
0: you could put you could make condoms out of them. Maybe it could be really expensive condoms. Yeah, oh, but cool. all you need to do is turn the light on, and you can just reuse it.
1: Like, oh, yeah,
0: no. reusable. I don't
1: think that's only for gonorrhea purposes.
0: Anyway, so for both experiments, the researchers <laughs> don't is-
1: reuse condoms. <laughs>
0: <listeners>. <laughs> no. I mean, unless they're made out of this fancy material. Yeah. Uh, Researchers use much higher concentrations of microbes than they generally find in, like, hospitals and stuff like that, and it still got rid of, you know, 99.9% of them. Okay. So, yeah, it's a super cool material that hopefully they could use in hospitals.
1: Yeah, I think it needs to happen because antibiotics aren't working anymore. Yeah. So that's really exciting.
0: Yeah. So that's... Keep your, your junk safe.
1: Keep your junk safe. Oh, We're all your so clothes
0: made our, out of these. Our
1: new segment, keep, keep your, your junk, junk safe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Every week, we tell you a new way to keep your junk safe. Yeah,
1: that's all I got. Are you going to tell me a trivia? Got some questions that I got to ask. Okay, first we have to answer last week's trivia. Okay. So last week's trivia question was... If I'm remembering correctly, (laughs) who was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize and in what? And it was obviously Marie Curie won a Nobel Prize in physics. And then actually, again, later in chemistry. Okay, are you ready for this week's trivia question? Once again, no. Maybe, you might know this. Barack Obama. Yes!
0: (laughs) Who is Barack Obama? The first woman...
1: I don't know. I, yeah. I got nothing. So, trivia question.
0: No. <laughs> I'm editing that in. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: I'm going to also put, like, a beat down
1: for Yeah, it, good. And that's going to be it, our... This could be a, a really dumb half-ass. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, this week's trivia... What woman inventor... <laughs> Also has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And we'll find out
0: (laughs) next next week. Because I have no idea.
1: Yeah. Okay, our
0: theme song. By Artichoke, and it's called Mary Anning. Tweet at us at ecology underscore gremlin, spelled
1: G-R-E-M-L-Y-N. Or at... Emma Dietrich (laughs)
0: 8-9. We really are disguising (laughs) ourselves. It's very secretive. Yeah,
1: whatever. And I think that's it. Yeah, let us
0: know if you want us to, if you've got current science women that you think should be plugged. If you have old old science women that you think should be plugged. Old? Historical! Historical. (laughs) Old science women that we think should be blocked <laughs> in, in our new section. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, oh good. Yeah, just let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uh, no. <laughs> whatever your interpretation of that is. Let us know. Um, oh, and if we've got uh, oopsies, if you if we need to <laughs> add things <laughs> to the oops collection, just. Let us know. Yeah, we'll do that next time.
1: Got a new segment. Oops. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Bye.
0: (laughs) Bye.